In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Christ, the true light which enlightens and sanctifies everyone into the world, may the light of your countenance be shone upon us, so that in it we may see the unapproachable light, and may you direct our steps to fulfilling your commandments through the intercessions of your holy, pure Mother, Our Lady the Theotokos, and of all your saints, Amen. I didn't think you'd want me back again, Father, after the first time, but I'm back. I remember coming here when I was a layperson and listening to everybody speak and being spiritually edified and knowing my shortcomings and thinking, what am I going to say to you? What am I going to say that's actually going to help you? And I remember when Father said to me, you know, I need a topic. When I said yes, after saying no about four times, I thought, what, what should I do? I should just do iconography again, do another, you know, do what I know best. And for whatever reason, what happened? I was sitting there thinking, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? What am I going to talk about? What would they be interested in? Because half the time when I talk about colours and art and symbolism to my friends, they start rolling their eyes back at me again. All you do is talk about iconography and art. And it was the start... When was it? It was All Saints. All Saints Day. And I started thinking and thinking and thinking and I thought, oh yeah. The Orthodox person in the world today and their role as a saint or as an apostle is someone with the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's all in the season. You know? And I guess really what I was really thinking, so if I'm going to be honest, the fast started. So I'm thinking again, I have to fast. At least I get to eat fish. But again, I have to fast. Like we just had Pascha, it was fantastic. You know, we become militant in our fast during Easter because we know we're going to receive something. The risen Lord, the holy light that will be resurrected from our own sins, given hope and light to carry on for the rest of the year. And then I thought, and then there's every Wednesday and Friday that we fast. That's enough, isn't it? And then we have the Virgin Mary, 15 days. We have, to, we have to fast for her. She gives us hope that it wasn't just Christ. You know, we can do it too. She did it as well. And then, of course, there's Christmas. There's another 40 days. You know, I'm a bit of a pig. I like to eat. Ask the boys that hang out with me at the church. I'm always going for lunch and dinner. And sometimes a mix between the two in between. And... Okay, good. Christmas. We have to do it. We should do it. Who doesn't want to receive the incarnate Lord, God who became flesh, who came to show us the way to salvation, who came to take on the sins of the world? But the apostles fast, Peter and Paul. Do I really want to receive them? Like, is that what I'm doing? I'm receiving Peter and Paul at the end of this, St. Peter and Paul? 
I know they used to fight a bit. They used to argue, like, what am I receiving? And I thought to myself, or am I receiving something? Maybe I'm giving something this time round. I know the fast is a time of preparation and cleansing. Spiritually, physically, mentally, the whole lot. It's not just about food. And we're in the fast right now. I, I thought uh, I spoke on Sunday at my parish, I think half of them, because we had guest priests in and out. I think we didn't tell them the fast was on, so I just thought, you know, halfway through I'll let you know <laughs> in case you haven't started. But I thought to myself, what? what's the point of this one? Of course there's a point. The fathers of the church don't just put it there for no reason. We celebrated Christmas. We received the resurrection. We get given the hope of eternal life. Christ offers this to us. Pentecost comes, or before then, the ascension. Christ goes into heaven and he's seated at the right hand of the Father and it's one of those feasts that um, mind boggles me when I think that at the right hand of the Father now, the Word of God, Jesus Christ, in the flesh, is sitting with him. The Theanthropo, the God-man, is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And we know that the angels in heaven worship God. And God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I thought to myself, they're also worshipping us. In Christ, they worship our humanity. Humanity has been exalted to that level. People should know about this. The meaning of life is to become holy as God is holy, to become children of God, to become friends of Christ, to be co-enthroned with Him, because that's what He's promised. Shouldn't we be telling people this? If they don't listen, shouldn't we at least be living this? And then we celebrate Pentecost. The apostles are hiding again, or they're waiting, let's say this time around, maybe not so much hiding, but they're waiting. They don't have the courage to go and proclaim yet. And as they're praying... As they're praying, as a church, they've come together. As the Ecclesia. The Holy Spirit comes as wind and tongues of fire. And I was saying to the students at St. John's, what was the first thing that happened? You know, and they're great, you know, because they've been, they've been doing Bible study in RE since they got their prep. You know, I teach year 9 and 10. And the first thing they said, Father, they spoke in tongues. And I'm like, uh-uh, wrong. No, the first thing they did was they had courage and they walked out that house. They walked out into the world to tell them what happened. To connect everything for them. To join them to themselves and to the salvation they had received. To pass on that Holy Spirit that was gushing out of them with love. And when they spoke, every single person that heard it, heard it in their own tongue. 
And by the way, leaving that house, knowing that people are searching for you, to do harm to you, that's courage. They had the courage to walk out that house and to be who they were and proclaim who they were. No matter the consequence, no matter how crazy people would have thought they were. And by the way, they thought they were drunk at first. They thought they had gone mad. Uh, Acts of the Apostles, if you want to read it firsthand, because I'm, I'm giving it to you in Father Leo terms. Um, and then the Sunday after, we celebrate all the saints known to the church and not known, proclaimed or not. Those who are famous, those who are, you know, superstars in the church, like St. George, certain saints, people just are attracted to, you know. He's cool, he's killing a dragon on a horse in his icon. You know, there's people that just become attracted to certain saints and they just become, they're big, you know. The feasts are amazing. And then there are those who are hardly known, and they're still proclaimed. But that there are those who have gained holiness in their life, achieved holiness through their struggle, and no one knows. But they're also great, and they're also larger than life. And they're also human, just as we are. So I thought, all right... Maybe this fast is not a time of struggling to necessarily receive only, but it's also a time to prepare ourselves to give for once, to go out there and continue what we have inherited. To become our apostles, apostles and prophets and teachers and Christians on purpose in our life, not only by name. Um, I feel like I am teaching at St. John's now because that's my first lesson. I usually walk into class and I, I say to the students, who's an Orthodox Christian? And all the hands go up. And then I say to them, Who's, uh, who was baptized Orthodox Christian? And the hands go up. And then I say to them, who was born Orthodox Christian into an Orthodox Christian family? And all the hands go up again, well, so far. And sometimes if I want to be cheeky, I say to them, okay, who was born Greek? And not all the hands go up, because obviously we don't have only Greeks at St. John's. And then I start teasing the Greeks. Because I, I am, so I can. Um, and I take side with the Antiochians and the Serbians and the Russians that are at our school. Um, uh, but um, and then that's pretty much the lesson. That's the first lessons we do is how do we become Orthodox Christians on purpose? Because it's easy to call ourselves a Christian or an Orthodox Christian. It's great to be proud of it. It's great to be connected to this. Um, but it's not enough just to call yourself something. 
Yes, we have been baptized. Yes, we have been illumined. Yes, we have received the Holy Spirit. But what are we doing with it? What are we doing with it? And this is something I have to ask myself. At the end of this fast, after having gone through all these feasts this year, from Christmas, let's say, onwards, finishing up with Pentecost and celebrating all the saints and being called, not just myself, but all of us, to be counted among them, to be numbered among them. What am I doing to get there? Or what am I doing to bring others, if I think I'm already there, which I'm not? What am I, what am I doing to bring, in, for, to bring others into this salvation, into this life, into this faith, into this love? So they can feel like they belong to this amazing miracle like I do. And when I really think about it, I think I'm doing very little. And sometimes nothing. So I think this is why I decided to talk about this already, but the talk started, so this is the talk now. Um... And then I was thinking to myself, what, what was life like before compared to now? Because I'm finding it hard. And I know as a layperson I found it harder, but I guess it's easier now because I can't escape it. I'm dressed as a Greek Orthodox priest, so, I mean, it's almost shameful to say it because I should be doing more, but even just being dressed like this, I'm proclaiming the faith by being out in the street. So the, the clothes themselves are doing great ministry. I don't know if I am, but they're doing what they're supposed to do. The uniform's doing what it's supposed to do. You know, the habit. Um, because it's hard. You know, and when speaking with youth and even when, when speaking with the elderly parishioners that I have, I find like we're living two worlds. You can't really go out and proclaim anything or be an example if you're not struggling first yourself. You know, take it from someone who preaches almost every day. Most of the time people try and listen, but it goes into one ear and out the other. We forget it or we don't practice it afterwards. So if I'm not practicing it myself, how am I going to hand that over to them? There has to be another way of preaching. Orthodoxia. You know, the correct way of worship or glorifying God. And by the way, we have to glorify Him every day. Like I said, we're living two lives the faithful, orthodox way we are on maybe on Sundays and then the way we are during the week at home or at work or at school or at university or out on the street. It's, we have two worldviews, you know, the, the secular worldview, let's say, the material worldview, it's all in the same section. The worldly worldview. 
And then we have the orthodox worldview. But the orthodox worldview should be an orthodox way of life, an orthodox Christian way of life that continues once we leave church on Sunday. Otherwise, we end up being like those hypocrites Christ condemns within the New Testament. I've always found that interesting. He didn't condemn the prostitutes, the thieves, the tax collectors, the fishermen, all those people he healed, the Romans, Caesar. He doesn't condemn anybody. In fact, he forgives them and heals them. But he condemns the hypocrites. And apparently they were the faithful in that time, the Pharisees and Sadducees, the people of the law, the people of the faith. Can I say it? The priests, the people in authority, the people who were meant to be leading the good example, the people who had the power to make a difference and didn't in their own lives and in the lives of those around them. Hmm. So then I I thought, okay, so how did they do it back in the day? Let's not go too far back. Let's think, what role did they have? How did they live their life? How, How did they keep the orthodox worldview going in society? 19th century, let's say, around then. You know, Greece, village, city. Well, the truth is that back then, it's from most of our homelands and here, the countries were Christian. They learnt Christianity at school. They learnt the Christian worldview, the Orthodox worldview. The king or the emperor, if we go further back, they were the first believer or the first example for, as a layman to lay people. At school they read. The things people read were most of the time spiritual. Everything was united, combined. You know, people on the street, I've read it many times in, in books of the fathers or even when I speak to my grandparents or when I've, I've had the pleasure of, thank God, and the blessing of living for a, a, a period of time with my great-grandfather. You know, and he said, you know, on the streets, people discussed faith. It wasn't, there was no shame. In fact, they debated it many times. People sung songs that had to do with orthodoxy, with their faith, with their belief. Told stories to their kids. At school, they were taught their religion, their faith. In fact, it was as a school that they went to church on Sunday, still in their uniform. I always love that when I see St. John's come to school in their uniforms. It reminds me of what my great-grandfather was saying. 
you know, the kids were, were there. Um, but that's not, we're not really living in that kind of an environment anymore or society. And not all the schools are St. John's for them to be learning the Orthodox faith there. And not all households, and this is, I think, the worst part of it, because there's many ways we can live out our role as Orthodox Christians. And firstly, it has to be within ourselves. We have to then, those who have families and children with their, with their children, we have to raise our children up to have an Orthodox worldview. And then, once we become an example, as an individual, as a family, we've, we've taken the biggest leap because our way of life is preaching on its own to everybody around us. You know, when you show love, when others show you hate, kindness, when everyone around you isn't, doing that patience when everybody's in a hurry tolerance when everybody's intolerant although tolerance is probably right down the bottom because it just means I put up with you I think an orthodox Christian loves gives of themselves forgives is long suffering for the other when we do things like this, I think people generally turn around and say, you know, why are you so kind when everybody else that works with us here in the office, let's say, is trying to jump over each other and become more powerful and more successful and they want to be recognized as the most sophisticated and most knowing and highest paid and successful. Why are you happy just to help? just to love. Then you have the opportunity to preach. I'm saying because this is what I believe. This is how I've been taught. These are the teachings of Christ and I'm, I'm trying to follow them. If we do it in the reverse, you can preach all you want, but if the example's not there, who's going to want to follow it? we become hypocrites as well. Maybe I'm just talking about myself. Um, I find that even, and I guess I'm going to talk about maybe my parish a bit now because I don't have, apart from being a committee member as a layperson and studying at St. Andrew's Theological College, there's, there's experience there, but in my parish I've received so far, and this is why I hesitate to come and talk, because I have limited experience. Of, uh, you know, I was ordained in 2011, it's 2015. How much experience have I had compared to, to the other fathers? Not much. But we easily become complacent. You know... Um, there are those churches who feel like they're 
the dead burying the dead. Uh, because they're all elderly and the only sacraments that happen or the only services that happen apart from divine liturgies are funerals, I guess. Um, and they're struggling to figure out, like when I talk with the, the older fathers, like what, what are we going to do? What programs? What, what do you suggest because you have youth in your church? What are we going to do to bring the youth in? Give us advice, you know? Who should I put to run my youth group? And that's very well and good. But then what am I doing? Because yes, I have youth. And yes, they come to church on Sundays, at least most of them. Tomorrow night's my youth group. I know I'll have a number, a certain number there that most priests will say to me, that's a really good number. That's a big number compared to ours. Fantastic. But I have to ask myself, what am I actually providing for them? What am I doing for them? They're coming to the liturgy, but what are they taking with them after this? Are they, are they practicing orthopraxia? Are they practicing Orthodox Christians outside? Have I given them the courage to be Orthodox Christians out in that world? that is agnostic or atheist or secular, call it whatever you want, materialistic? Have I given them the tools to be able to really cope? To be able to stand on their two feet as Orthodox Christians? I know from the fast, from wanting to eat meat, I come to thinking like this. I'm not reading you my talk because when I started thinking about all this, I think the word count went to like 7,000. I saw it on the screen this morning and I could only put it down to three. So I thought, forget it. Let's scrap the talk. Let's just, Father Leo will just complain to you for the rest of the night. But we need to ask ourselves what we're doing. And I've been speaking to, to a few people about about this topic, you know, um, how we're living out our role as Orthodox Christians out in the world. And a good friend of mine said, I can't do that. I can't do it. Do you know what it's like to tell someone, sorry, I need to pray at work? He works in a factory where everybody's tough. You know, and strong, and they're all men, he said to me, you know. It's like a, a sign of weakness. What am I going to do? Say, sorry, I have to go pray. Or, I'm sorry, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to eat yet. I'm going to do my little prayer over my food. Because it's, they think, they'll think I'm crazy. And he said to me, you know, you know they used to lock up people in communist Russia for like praying publicly. I said, mate, it's not communist Russia. He goes, yeah, but they'll still think I'm cuckoo. They're going to still think I'm crazy. And he's right. Yeah, sure. They, they think we're crazy. Sometimes we can be seen as crazy because when someone asks us a question, we're honest. I had a, another person who was with me um, yesterday after church. And they said to me that their family members, so forget the, the factory now or the, or the workplace, 
their family members, who are apparently a Greek Orthodox, asked her, you know, when we have arguments, you're different. In the past, you used to get worked up. You used to fight back. You used to talk back. But now you're not. You're calm. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you exercises? Is there a club you're a part of? What are you doing? And the person turned around and said, this is what they said to me, I've started practicing the faith. And apparently the response was laughter and mocking by their family. Because they thought they were joking. Because they thought it was ridiculous, even amongst our own. They're like, no, no, come on, really, what are you doing? You're taking a pill? You seen a doctor? You're going to the gym, right? That's what you're doing. You're going to the gym. I said, no, I have a spiritual father and I see him regularly. And a spiritual mother, she told me. Maybe it's you, I don't know. <laughs> um, and, and it's helped me. I've calmed down. I have tools and weapons to help me live out my Christianity and cope with the rat race and the arguments and the bills and the bombardment of commercials and advertising and whatever else goes on in our life. And she's now, to some degree, considered nuts or crazy by her family. But she's happier than she's ever been. And by taking care of her own spiritual well-being... God has given her the courage to bring others, firstly her siblings, into the church. That's massive. You see, she started, the person starts with themselves first. After that, you need to take care of those people firstly around you. Yeah, Let's not forget Christ didn't go out to the Gentiles straight away to the Samaritans straight away, first in the house of Israel, right? He tried to take care first of his own, those around him. And then when he did what he could and those who wanted to listen did, and those who didn't want to listen didn't, then he went further out. To the other nations. And of course, we, we see that also with St. Paul. Okay, he didn't stop at the Jews. He continued. Uh, and I think maybe this is what we need to start doing too. Even at the risk of being considered a little bit crazy. Um, well, you probably need to be a little bit crazy. You know, have a little bit of madness in you. You know, to to really have that courage to go out there. But it's madness to the world, it's sanity to us, it's faith to us. 
regardless of the feedback, regardless of what people say. But it's a struggle. It's not easy to proclaim your faith in this world today. Especially when the world doesn't have the views of our church on many, many issues, regardless of what they are. There are many issues facing us now that the church has never had to deal with before. But it doesn't mean we can't. It doesn't mean that with the love of Christ and with his guidance and with all the tradition, not only through Holy Scripture, but the lives of the saints and through the services of the church, the sacraments, we can't be directed as a church together, united, to be able to deal with many, many issues that are facing us today. Of course we can. We don't need to change our method of approaching things. It works. Christ works. And he works through us. Remember Pentecost? The Holy Spirit is there to comfort us and guide us and give us courage to be who we are, to proclaim who we are. We don't need to pretend to be something we're not. In fact, when we stop living a double life, you know, cool dude on during the week at work and church boy on Sunday, when we actually start struggling to be who we're meant to be and live out our baptism in our life and our chrismation in our life, the blessings are abundant. The courage grows ever, ever stronger. doesn't mean life is going to get easier. doesn't mean times will get better. I hate to break it to you, but Christ doesn't promise that. He didn't come to give us the peace of the world, the peace of the heart. His peace He gives to us, not that of the world. If He did come to give us the peace of the world, then He failed because last time I checked, there was a lot of wars going on. There was a lot of people dying. There was a lot of hunger. There was a lot of disease still happening all over the world. But he gave us a different peace. He directed us to start thinking in a different way and start living in a different way which allows us to cope and allows us to grow stronger as things get harder and tougher. To be able to learn how to deal with the, with the trials and tribulations of life. And not only to do that on our own, because according to the fathers, and the one that comes to mind is uh, Saint Siloan, on my own the only thing I can achieve is to go to hell, but the, together we are saved. Together we are saved. Together we go to heaven. That's what marriage is too, Yeah. It's not for the big fancy cars and the hot girl or the stud. 
It's not for a joint bank account, although it helps if you don't have separate ones. It's not for buying to buy a big house and build. Now I feel like a hypocrite because we're building ours at the moment. Um, it's not about that. That's not the goal. Why do people get married? To have a partner. To unite your body and soul with somebody. So they can strengthen you and you can strengthen them. You don't ask them what they can do for you. You just do for them. Because that's love. You sacrifice. You give without asking for anything in return. And together you help each other become better Christians. To live an orthodox life. And ultimately, God willing to hold each other's hands when you enter the kingdom of heaven one day together. That's the goal. I don't know how long I've been talking for, so I'll try and wrap it up a bit. Um, Look, we can go into this in many ways. We can start talking about how our role as Orthodox Christians in education. The things we should be doing that sometimes aren't going to be what the rest of the world is doing. Because we, we have to teach things a little bit differently. But it doesn't mean we can't teach our children everything, all the sciences. In fact, we should. Uh, the fathers of Optina, I remember reading that they were encouraging people to allow their children to listen to classical music and, and, to, and to take them to good plays, to, to theatre. I've, I've, I've heard people say, you know, teach your children, I'm talking about holy people here, my father Leah, holy people, say they need balance. If you want to give them, a, if you want to be the right role model, if you, you want to live out the role as a parent, as an, as an Orthodox parent, you need to make sure that they know everything. They need to know history. They need to be connected to our history and to the history of the world. Don't hide the good and bad from them. They need to know the good so they can know that it exists in this life. They need to know the bad and the tragedy so they don't repeat it. And don't make it sound good. They need to watch things. But try and censor, to, to, in a good way, censor yeah, what they watch. Have balance. Let them learn everything. Let them be like the bees, yeah? Go everywhere. Get to know every flower. But only take the good pollen. Then there's the way we should be living out our role within the church, embracing each other, becoming family. I, um, I think I've never been so horrified in my life with the mistreatment of people that I have been within our church. And the complaints I've received at times from people, not necessarily my parish, but 
just generally speaking to people, or at times, yes, even in the parish. Oh, don't, don't talk to them. They're a heretic. I think that one's orthodox, but you can't trust them. Be careful, Father. That one's definitely a spy. I think they're from down the road. And most of the time they've been right. But should we stop showing love? Let's not forget Christ didn't get rid of Judas. He kept him, he loved him, he was by his side the whole time. He knew what was going to happen. Just as I have known or other fathers have known or other people have known that many people either in their family or congregation have not necessarily been loyal to them. But our role is to love and to give the good example of love and acceptance. Regardless of what that person will end up doing. Regardless of the hurt and the pain. Because we need to try and share that gift with them that we have, or that we say we have. The Holy Spirit. The love of Christ. And persecution... sometimes is the result of being Christian. We can see it now on television, yeah? We can't see it visibly, at least to some, the most extreme levels that are happening today. I'm not talking about being called crazy or getting laughed at at home or by your friends or work colleagues. Yeah, I, I know that it has its own martyrdom, but I'm talking about people's heads getting chopped off at the moment because they're Christian or not part of a certain group. I'm talking about babies being massacred. And yet these people are happily continuing to proclaim their faith. They're living examples and role models that we should not give up no matter what. And it's not just happening now. It happened with the first Christians. Um on and off according to the history books until the Edict of Milan by St. Constantine. It happened in communist Russia and Romania before the Iron Curtain was lifted. Um, I'm not sure which persecution was worse. The one the, the ones the early Christians faced or the ones the Christians faced, or any believer faced, under communism. One, uh, and maybe I should leave you with this. Wouldn't mind reading something out of this for you. One Orthodox priest in Romania, Father George Calciu, Father Dimitri Catrinei was trying to tell me how to pronounce it, Calciu, I think, um, was once near death 
in a communist prison uh, for daring to challenge young seminarians and students to put off their blind allegiance to the spirit of the times and come forward to labor for Christ. Uh, the time he spent in prison was 16 years for this, by the way. And he wasn't just... I, I've started doing a bit of prison chaplaincy at the moment. It wasn't the way prisons are now. Uh, this was daily. They were, they, were, they were tortured while they were there. Many people died during these tortures. After speaking of the emptiness of atheism, he told, and still continues to tell, through his teachings and through his life and through his example for today's young people. He says, I call you to a much higher flight, to a total abandonment, to an act of courage which defies reason. I call you to God to the one that transcends the world so that you might know an infinite heaven of spiritual joy, the heaven which you presently grope for in your personal hell and which you seek even while in a state of non-deliberate revolt. Jesus has always loved you, but now you have the choice to respond to his invitation in responding, you are ordained to go and bear fruit that will remain. To be an apostle and prophet of Christ in the world in which you live today. To love your neighbor as yourself and to make all men your friend. To proclaim by every action this unique and limitless love which has raised humanity from the level of a fallen creation to that of a friend of God, to the prophets of this liberating love which delivers you from all constraint, returning to you your integrity as you offer yourself to God. Father George speaking to young people who had little inspiration to serve Christ's church, because they had accepted the worldly opinion common also among us in what they would have called back then the free world, that the church is only a set of buildings or a worldly organization, calls them and us, Father, calls them and us to a deeper awareness of Christ's church and of how our formal membership in it is not enough to save us. We need to bear fruits. Faith and works together. That is the sanity of our church. That is the balance that our faith gives us. Our orthodox faith. Those two things together will bring us close to God and to salvation. The Church of Christ is alive and free. In her we move and have our being through Christ who is her head. In Him we have full freedom. In the Church we learn of truth and the truth will set us free, says 
Saint John in the eighth chapter of his gospel. You are in Christ's church whenever you uplift someone bent down in sorrow, or when you give alms to the poor and visit the sick. You are in Christ's church when you cry out, Lord, help me. You are in Christ's church when you are good and patient, when you refuse to get angry at your brother, even if he, is, even if he has wounded you or your feelings. You are in Christ's church when you pray, Lord, forgive him. When you work honestly at your job, returning home weary in the evenings, but with a smile upon your lips. When you repay evil with love, you are in Christ's church. Do you not see? This is Father George saying this now, yeah? Do you not see, therefore, young friend, how close the church of Christ is? You are Peter. And God is building his church upon you. You are the rock of his church against which nothing can prevail. So let us build churches with our faith. Churches which no human power can pull down. A church whose foundation is Christ himself. Feel for your brother alongside you. Never ask, who is he? Rather say, he is no stranger. He is my brother. He is the church of Christ, just as I am. With such a call in our hearts, let us begin really to belong to the Church of Christ, the Orthodox Church. Outward membership is not enough. Something must move within us that makes us different from the world around us. Even if that world calls itself Christian and at times even Orthodox, let us keep and nourish those qualities of the true Orthodox worldview which I mentioned earlier. A living, normal attitude, loving and forgiving, not self-centered, preserving our innocence and unworldliness even with a full and humble awareness of our own sinfulness and the power of the worldly temptations around us. If we truly live this orthodox worldview, this orthodox faith, our faith will survive the shocks ahead of us and be a source of inspiration and salvation to those who will still be seeking Christ even amidst the shipwreck of humanity, which we continue to say has begun. We need to start now. Our call is now. The Apostles' Feast is coming. Our mission here on earth, if it hasn't already begun, has to. Inwardly with ourselves, with our family, with each other as the church, 
and with every single person outside that door that is made in the image and likeness of God. Yeah. Forgive me for daring to speak tonight. God bless you. God, that I think I'm done for tonight. Thank you. I've grappled with uh, for quite a long time um, how to evangelize or comping myself to say be an apostle but try to be a little bit apostolic. I, I find it very difficult because I think there's a lot of hostility on the other side and I think on this side there's probably fear of rejection and fear of loss of security and things like that. Um, and I've prayed about it, and I've also learnt a lot from people from other Christian churches. Um, and sometimes we forget when we're orthodox that we can learn from other Christians, from other churches. And I've looked at what they do, and some of them evangelise to everybody they meet. Um, and they do it as, as the Holy Spirit leads them to, um, on a, a personal level um, and I, I found that inspiring and I started wearing my cross um, and I was I sort of uh, received some courage so that when people would ask me what did you do on the weekend I would say I went to church and I don't know um, it's taken a long time and I'm, I'm still in sort of taking baby steps but uh, I try to uh, have a spiritual conversation or be open to a spiritual conversation with everyone I meet, whether I know them or, or whether they're a, a stranger or at my work. And I was thinking, you know, at work, people notice that you're Christian. They know you're, that you're Christian. And they might call themselves atheists, but deep down inside, on some level, they could believe. They're just rejecting God. That's what I have found with some people. I've found people who say they're atheists and I've found them crossing themselves and saying, um, you know, hopefully, you know, we'll be well next year, you know. Um, and the other thing that has inspired me by some pe people from other faiths and denominations is that their propensity to tithe you know, I think that's something that we need to think about. It's, it's in the Bible. The, the almsgiving that you mention is very important. Everybody, you know, has, you know, financial restraints and things like that. But I, I find that a, a challenge um, to us as Christians to, to give more. Um, and I... I'm really heartened by the fact that there's missions in Africa and so on, orthodox missions. Um, yeah, it's... And I also am heartened by the... You know, I, I see other people from some of the other churches. They, they go out and they, they, they invite the people from, from the rows, literally street people. They invite them into their church. They could be drug addicts, you know, sex workers... Um, drug dealers, whatever, they invite them into their church and they have them as part of their congregations um, and, and some of the parishioners find that a challenge but eventually a, a lot of the people stay on and become Christians as part of the church and yeah, I just think we have a lot to learn from each other and it's a, it's a struggle but um, 
Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. Yes, we do need to invite everybody into our church. I have a blessing in disguise at Coburg. My church is glued next to a train station. So I get to have lots of friends. And some of them have become, Costa, you're laughing because you know it's true. We have a lot of friends. And a lot of them have joined our church. And none of them are Greek. And that's fantastic. We're doing our bit. It's just that I think our church tries not to show off about it. You know, at least that's what we've been trying to do where we are. It's going to get podcasted, right? Sorry. But then I suppose I suppose we're blessed because we're dressed like this. In some ways, it's hard to walk around dressed like nuns. But what I'm finding more and more in these troubled times, people are walking up up into the street in Melbourne or in in Geelong, and asking, "Sister, can you please, if we don't get the Aboriginals on Aboriginal Pay Day, sister, I'm hungry. Can you get me some food? You know, so we." We help them, we buy them something, and they've got five of their relatives that come along and have something. But um, a lot of people stop and ask us to pray for them. There is actually a lot of people who are yearning to find some support in some way. And what I'm finding actually more and more, we've got a lot of our Orthodox faithful who are bringing a work colleague or a neighbour or someone to the monastery. So that's what the weekends, we do the service half in Greek, the Baraklesit at three o'clock, half in Greek, half in English. And even though these people may never be going to church, may not even be baptised, just coming to a place that's a place of prayer and being able to just uh, be given a cup of coffee or, or be welcomed or shown love, it's, it's part of our confession of our faith. You know, and any of you don't think you're not doing anything. The fact that you're all actually trying to practice your faith, even in your own quiet way, without bringing a lot of people in, we're still, you can still see we may be struggling, we may have our ups and downs, we may have our difficulties, but the light of God is still within us all. Without realising it, just just by maybe our slow, slow change in our behaviour, our manner, we can do little Christian acts here and there, not necessarily noticeable, but just in our manner, our behaviour towards our fellow colleagues or our own relatives or whatever. And it's like the light shining on the bushel. I remember Father Zachariah at Essex in the beginning, years ago when I first met him, I said, oh, I'm so enthusiastic about the faith. He said, just think of it like a kandili that you add the oil to it, you change the wick, you keep that, that kandili strong on the flame. Don't try and give it out to everybody. This is me and young and enthusiastic when I was only 25. And he said, just always keep in your mind to keep yourself strong spiritually and without doing anything, that light of God will shine through you. I mean, years later I became a nun and, and we're here in Australia. And I can see just the fact that we're existing, all of us, we're trying to go to church, we're going to, we're struggling, <clears throat> and our falls and our difficulties are part of the humility that humbles us. <clears throat> when we lose our cool and we scream and yell at somebody or 
you know, we repent, then we have confession. But just that struggle, God's grace is with all of us, all of us here who chose to come tonight instead of going to the casino or, or to a club or whatever. Don't go there yeah. afterwards, by the way. Yeah, so don't feel as if you're not doing anything. We are. Just the fact that there are young people who are committed to going to church, committed to going to their fellowship group or trying to struggle to read a spiritual book or um, in some way, even the lady, I don't know who it was, who said about tithing. Our Archbishop said we're not a club that we have to join and pay a membership like they do in America, the Orthodox Church. It's free. Our membership to the Orthodox Church is free. We don't have to pay to become a member. But if we can see in any way, way to help in any way somewhere else, I remember when I was in the world before I went overseas to become a nun, I decided to do tithing in my own way. And I would buy a little icona or some incense or a spiritual book and then just give that to people. And that was percentage of my wage went to just giving gifts to somebody, not just for birthday or Christmas or whatever. I remember someone gave me a skinny years ago, a little prayer rope. I thought, oh, what's this, what's this? And she told me about the Jesus prayer. And that helped me so much. This person just gave me a prayer rope. I'd never seen a prayer rope, hadn't heard of the Jesus prayer. But then I started saying, oh, let's try it. And as I was walking to work up to the bus stop, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, Lord Jesus Christ. And I could feel God's grace helping me, just trying to learn to say the Jesus prayer. So don't underestimate what we're doing now and what we can do. Just praying for other people, showing them agape, showing them love, makes a big difference. We were out and about today in Geelong and Sister Gregory had to go and do a job and I was doing something else, she was somewhere else. The next minute I heard this laughing, laughing. I thought, oh, her contagious laugh, she's got someone laughing. There's a whole group of people. And she had them laughing. And I said, we didn't, didn't believe nuns would be like that. Oh, they were joking with her and the, this and that. And one of them said, it's so nice to see another Christian. I'm an evangelical. And it's so nice to see another Christian. And to see a Christian nun, I didn't realise there were Christian nuns around. So without realising it, our presence. And then the other person, one of their persons says, I'm not really religious, I don't know much about this, but I like you, you're cool. So just our own, you know, we go to the post office and um, we've got a big heavy parcel. You know, we make a joke. Oh, do you want to buy your ticket to heaven? And they volunteer to help us take it to the car. <laughs> you know, just those little things. We don't have to be daggy, we don't have to be nerdy and we don't have to be stupid. But just being friendly and showing up, you're all doing it. Keep it up. It's, it's, we're all doing it. Don't underestimate what we're actually doing. And don't underestimate yourself either, but <laughs> just, we just have to look after ourselves, keep the kandili burning, our own kandili shining, and don't get slack. Read our Bible, go to confession, have Holy Communion, fast, pray, and keep on adding to our spirituality because if we let off a bit, then sometimes we can get slack and then we can go off the track. We can always get back on the track again as well. So don't think we're not doing it. We're doing it. Just keep it up. Keep it up. That's it. And pray for people. They don't realise when you're in a supermarket queue that you're, you're going through everybody in the queue and you're praying for them. They don't. It's a fun game. You pray for them. Someone who's got a child who's having a tantrum, you pray for them. That's it. They don't realise it, but we can do our guppy through prayer. 
So just keep it up. It's you know, it's it's a nice thing to, to have. I got up I'm going to pray for everybody I can see on my way to work today. And you don't go and tell them, "Hey, mate, I'm praying for you." No, you just do it out of out of love. And you may not be doing so much road rage if you're praying for the other people. <laughs> That's it. Sorry. No, thank you. I just, it just gave me a new game to play with my daughter. It takes me 45 minutes to drive from where we live to St. John's to take her to school there because I don't only teach there, but my daughter goes there. So what we do with Natalia in the car is in the morning we'll pray. We'll chant a few chants that she knows. And then, well, she wants to do something else. I'm trying to keep it somehow spiritual, but it ends up being I Spy with My Little Eye. Um, now we can play I Spy with My Little Eye, someone I can pray for. I'm mean, going to go, that guy. I just, I just, I'm, just thinking, I'm just thinking if I'm driving, maybe I shouldn't let go of the wheel, though. <laughs> In the traffic. Through the prayers of our Holy Fathers, Lord Jesus Christ, our God, have mercy on us and save us. Amen. May God bless you all and keep you well.